where would your marriage relationship, and if you don't have a marriage relationship, where would your key friendships be or your family relationships be without mercy and forgiveness? Where would they be? Where would the state of your own soul be, given what you know about yourself and about uh, the things, the issues, as Mike was talking about? Uh, where would um, the state of your own soul be, or maybe the soul of the people in your family who have to live with you be, without mercy and forgiveness? Um, how is it possible for us to resolve the great political divides of our time, the great racial chasms, the uh, economic divides, uh, the various other uh, fragmentations of this world today, how are we going to resolve these things without a lot of mercy and forgiveness? And the question that I want to pose to drill even deeper than that is why is it so hard to show more mercy and more forgiveness than we typically do? What can inspire us to actually be people of greater mercy and greater forgiveness than we are today? Well, to help us with that particular question or those questions, Jesus tells this very dramatic story in uh, Matthew chapter 18. I want to welcome you to grab a Bible. We've got them in the pew racks in front of you. And, uh, or open in your own copies of the Scripture. And I record, encourage you to bring your own Bible to church so you can take notes in the margin and sort of just make this your own. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can take one of the ones from the pew. Make it your own. Uh, but I want you to look with me at Matthew 18 and verses 20 and following because we're going to think together about this very powerful narrative that Jesus tells. Let me just preface this by saying that a lot of the stories that we read from Jesus, we get so used to because we see things through our own Western 21st century eyes, and we don't realize how dramatic, hyperbolic, radical, crazy, outrageous were the stories Jesus told, which is why so many people remembered them, wrote them down, and studied them throughout the centuries. This is one of those outrageous stories Jesus tells. And if you'll permit me, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you this morning. You can follow along word for word uh, in the Bible yourself. It seems that a king was settling up accounts with all of his subjects. And one particular uh, servant was brought in before that king, and he was... Uh, set in front of him, and the king boomed down from his throne. What is this slave's debt? The king asks. What is this particular slave's debt? Your majesty, said the chief clerk, squinting up from his ledger book, this man owes you 10,000 talents. Hmm, said the king. 10,000 talents? Talents? And he turns his gaze towards the slave. Is that right? I, I, I'm afraid that's, that's right, sir, the slave responds. 
Wow, says the king, that's a pretty considerable sum of money that you owe me. Why? Yes, yes, yes it is, sir, says the slave. Do you have that amount of money to repay your debt, asks the king. Well, no, sir, responds the servant. I'm afraid I don't have that, sir. Well, then, said the king, I suppose you'll understand why it is necessary for me to take you and your family and put you in prison until that debt shall be uh, paid. And at this particular point, the slave drops down to his knees and he begins to whimper, please, your majesty, please just give me a little bit more time. Just a little more time, and I will surely pay back everything that I owe you. And for a moment, the king seems to be considering that proposition as seriously as he can. And then he does what nobody expects, what nobody in that courtroom expected, and what nobody listening to Jesus telling this story in the first place would ever have expected might actually happen, the king stands up from his throne and he walks over to the chief clerk and he looks down into the ledger book and he finds the page on which is the name and the list of debts of this particular slave and he reaches out with his strong hand and he tears the page from the ledger book. And then he proceeds to rip up that piece of paper and throw away the pieces. And with the room in abject silence, with jaws dropped down all around, he looks at that slave and he says to him, your debt is forgiven. Go on your way, a free man. Now, you don't even have to read on in the story to know what happens, do you? Because you know what must have happened, right? What everybody in that crowd knew would have been the next part of the story. That slave got up from the ground where he'd been cowering and leapt for joy. And he ran around just high-fiving as many of the people as he could in the room, right? He was just so thrilled. And then he, he just sort of lifted up off the ground and floated out of the courtroom, out of the king's court on a cushion of air, of joyous air. His life was totally changed. I mean, everything he'd see differently from this point on. This is what would have happened so naturally to somebody who'd been forgiven of this kind of debt. And, and that's why it, it's, it's such a shock. It's why it just blew the minds of the original hearers of this story to see what actually happens next. Because Jesus says that when that servant went out of the palace, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, 10,000 talents, 100 denarii. That's about three months' wages during those days, okay? 
And he found that servant, and he immediately grabbed him and began to choke him, saying to him, pay back what you owe me. Pay back what you owe me. What you owe me. Now, imagine you're the king. And um, you hear the commotion outside, and your servants come back in, and they report to you what they just saw occur down there on the palace steps. What are you going to do? How many of you, honestly, if you'd been the king, having given such grace, such mercy and forgiveness to this guy, and then heard that he gave just so, none of it really, to, to others. How many of you would have thought, I'm going to throw that guy's tail in jail? Raise your hand. You bet, I would too. Both hands up. I'd have thrown that guy's tail in jail. And that's exactly what the king does. He throws him in jail until that debt shall be paid. Now, almost all of you in the room, you are students of human nature, okay? I mean, you, whether you think about it consciously or not, you you sort of, you know how the human personality works. So how do you explain this guy, right? I mean, how do you explain this second servant? or this first servant, and what he does to the, to the second servant. I mean, how do you make sense of that kind of response to what he had been given by the king? Why didn't receiving what he'd gotten make him the most merciful and forgiving person on the block? Right? Why didn't it at least last for 10 minutes? Why? The only thing that I can conclude is that, I mean, and check me if you have a different way of understanding this, but he must not have gotten what the king gave. I mean, that's the only thing I conclude. He must never have really received in the first place what it was the king had uh, given to him. Um, Because you just can't pour out to others what you haven't got for yourself. It's a basic law of life. You can't give what you ain't got. So why didn't the man get or receive what the king so lavishly extended to him? Why didn't he? Here are two possible explanations that occur to me. See if you can come up with more. See me afterwards. I'd love to hear how you understand it. Explanation number one. Maybe he actually didn't bother receiving what the king had given him because he didn't think he needed it really all that much. Maybe he didn't think he was that much in need of grace 
in the first place. And the proof that he may not have gotten it is the fact that he claims that if the king here would just give him a little bit more time, he would pay back everything he owed. And it sounds like a reasonable plan. Until you understand what 10,000 talents really means. Okay? 10,000 talents was the amount of money that King David, at the height of his power and influence, struggled to scrape together from the entire nation of Israel in order to construct uh, or to begin the construction uh, of the great temple at Jerusalem. Solomon went on to do that. Um, 10,000 talents was an amount equivalent in that day to about $12 million adjusted for inflation and cost of living changes. In today's money, 10,000 talents is about a billion dollars. A billion dollars. And given the fact that the average worker in Israel made about $80 a year, our friend Mr. Slave could certainly have paid off his debt in about 150,000 years of working every single day. 150, just give me a little more time and I will pay off my debt. The servant in the story could not really receive what the king was offering because he did not realize how badly he needed it. He did not open himself up very wide to the grace that was being offered because he didn't think he needed very much grace. Sometimes that's true for you, and that's true for me. I know it's true for me. Um, I will tell you that I often, I fall into thinking of morality in terms of trespasses. I'd have made a good Episcopalian uh, or or somebody that says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those against us. Because I often think of, of sin as that thing I do when I cross a line I shouldn't cross. Okay? And because I'm a reasonably responsible person, I sort of look for lines and try not to cross them. And, and so I think of myself as a basically righteous person because I'm not deliberately going into forbidden territory, at least not too often. I don't purposely tell lies. I don't actively think, how can I lash out at somebody else? I don't do those kinds of things. But because of that, I don't think of myself very much as a sinner. And I rarely think of myself in terms of my debts. My debts. I rarely consider that every time I have failed to think with complete purity toward another or neglected to care assertively for the hungry or the oppressed or, or, or been too scared, frankly, or too distracted with my own stuff to, um, to stand up for what is right and needs standing up for in our world today. I, I rarely think that every time I have 
fallen short in these ways, I've also fallen short of what I actually owed God, what God had a right to ask of me, expect of me, given all that I have been given in my life. I can readily see the person that fires the gun, that molests the child, that raids the till. These people are sinful trespassers. And it is much harder for me to, 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 to get the fact that in God's estimation, I who prefer to buy an additional sports coat rather than feed another hungry kid. And I'm making these choices every week. Right? For the way I use my money, I'm choosing. I'm choosing between looking good, feeling good, feeding people. I mean, it's just that simple. Um, I who most so much quick, quicker to ask, what can I get than what I can give? I am, in the eyes of God, a sinful debtor. And I'm almost 30 years old. <laughs> and these debts have been piling up. Right? I mean, they have been, they have been compounding for a whole lot of years. And, and in fact, the reality from God's perspective is that my debts are so large that if I were to work every single day at being flawlessly virtuous, which would be a challenge for me, if I worked for 150,000 years, maybe I might get close to being able to pay off that debt. And maybe I'm not the only guy who suffers with this particular uh, problem. Jesus suggests that if you and I and the servant in this particular story could actually see the plank in our own eyes, we would hardly even notice the speck in our neighbor's eyes. Um, If we could really grasp the vast size of the moral bankruptcy that God has so graciously forgiven, then we would absolutely delight in giving mercy and forgiveness to other people. Uh, In fact, we would be like those million-dollar lottery winners whose whose, uh, experiences of, of receiving this sudden windfall makes them dance down the streets with joy and start handing out $100 bills. I mean, we would be like this towards everybody that we met. Under no circumstances, would we, if we really got it, would we ever grab by the throat somebody else who, you know, had slighted us in some way. You know, we just, would, we would not live the choking life uh, if we really got the the depth, the wonder, the glory, the expanse, the lavishness of God's grace to us. Because nobody who has really received the news, nobody who has really taken in the news that he or she has just been forgiven 150,000 years of wages ever turns around and gets worked up over 90 days' worth that somebody else owes us. Do they? If they've really received it, do they? They don't. So maybe part of our problem is we just haven't taken it in, how much we need it, and how wonderful is the gift we have been given. Here's the second theory I have. Here's the second possible explanation. Maybe, maybe the servant in Christ's story or the slave inside of me or, or inside of you struggles to really receive the grace that God wants to pour into us 
because we think it's too good to be true. It can't possibly be true. Because we've all grown up believing there, there are no free lunches. Everybody in life's got to pull their own weight. Everything has to come through good work. We feel awkward when somebody pays us a compliment because we think, shucks, I, I didn't really deserve it. I didn't really deserve this. We're sometimes so quick to judge other people, their shortcomings, because we feel they should be paying for their sins somehow, because we feel somehow we must still pay for ours. We must still pay for ours. We're unable to measure grace out to other people because we don't really know how to measure out grace even to ourselves at times. But you know, friends, there is somebody who knows how. There is somebody who knows how to lavish mercy and forgiveness upon people who have not earned it. And I want to invite you to imagine in closing today that it is actually you who has been called into the great throne room to have your debts settled before the king. And as you stand before that awesome throne, the king finds your name in the ledger book. And he says, hmm, it seems that you are indebted a great deal. It seems here that you owe more than a million bazillion. Is that right? Is that right? And at that particular moment, standing as you are in that uh, throne room, surrounded by the glory of a totally holy and perfect God, you are seeing yourself fully for the first time ever You've got no illusions anymore. You know exactly where you stand in terms of righteousness and holiness in his presence. And so you answer honestly and humbly, I'm afraid that's right, Lord. I owe a bazillion million to you. I mean, if I had 150,000 years, I couldn't pay back what I really owe, morally speaking. And because you are so used to people who measure out mercy and forgiveness in these very stingy ways. You steal yourself for the judgment that you know should come next. And as you kneel there trembling, there is an awful silence in the room until you hear the rustle of fabric. And you dare to open an eye. And you see the king getting up from his throne. And he's walking forward. And you shrink back until he turns to the ledger book. And he reaches down and he pulls out your page. And he looks at it once more. And then he begins to tear like the sound of the great temple at Jerusalem being torn down the middle. And he gives you the ability to see in all of its glory what you've only conceived of in church. 
you see Jesus himself on the cross. Arms spread wide, blood coming down, love in his eyes, paying the debt. And as the sound of the tearing continues, and the tears flood up in your eyes at the glory and the wonder of the one who hangs upon that cross for you, you hear the voice of the king speaking gently as he reaches down and lifts up your chin and brings you to your feet and says, your debt is paid. Your sins are forgiven. Go and live free. Now tell me, as you leave the place, how much mercy and forgiveness are you going to measure out to that person you're going to meet probably before you leave the parking lot who needs grace? I guess the answer probably is it all depends on how much of his grace we have been able to receive truly at this table.